good morning again. Good to see you guys. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to John 15, being verses 9 to 17. Right in the middle of a, a really special section of Scripture, it was Jesus' last night on earth. He was eating dinner with his 11 remaining disciples, and he was giving them some final encouragement and instructions before he went to the cross. The cross. And John, who was one of Jesus' closest disciples, wrote down much of what Jesus said that night. And about halfway through this teaching, Jesus tells his disciples, you let me know if I need to switch. Is it this? You just let me know if I need to switch. About halfway through this teaching, Jesus tells his disciples that he is the true vine. And that they have to abide in him just like living branches abide in the vine. And Jesus says apart from him, they can do nothing. And the same is true for those of us who follow Jesus today. We, we either abide in Jesus, we, we're living in Jesus, we bear his fruit in our lives, or in the analogy he gives us, we are the dead, fruitless branches. We are connected may, maybe to Jesus in appearances, but it's through appearances only because we don't really bear his fruit. We don't have his life living in us. And Jesus says that the Father will eventually cut off these branches and take this, these branches away from the vine, who is Jesus, and throw them into the fire. And we've been talking about what it means to abide in Jesus. That word comes up over and over again in chapter 15. We've talked about what it means to live in Jesus as he lives in us. And last week we talked about the importance of having Jesus' words abide in us as we abide in his word. And, and today, Jesus tells his disciples and us that as they do this, as they abide in him, as they abide in his word, he also wants them, he tells them, to abide in his love. Abide in my love. That's a great command. <laughs> Jesus tells you, I want you to live in my love. So if you have your Bible with you, we're going to look at that in John 15. Uh, starting at verse 9. Before we read these words, let's, let's ask the Lord to help us. Thank you, Lord, for this time of worship that we're enjoying today. And we need your help as we open up your word. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to change us today, to teach us. Help us to grasp the enormity of who you are and of your holiness and of your holy love Fill us with this love. God, fill us with your love. Make us abounding in love so that we can overflow in love to you and love toward one another. Open our hearts and minds to you now, Lord. Protect us from the evil one. Fill this place with your spirit. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. John 15, 9 to 17. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. 
This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Amen. So let's look at this verse by verse. In verse 9, Jesus starts by saying, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Okay, stop there. Think about that for a minute, that statement. Think about how the God the Father must feel about his son, Jesus. God the Father, in his awesome glory, has loved his perfect, beautiful, holy, divine son, Jesus, and, and he's loved his son Jesus since eternity past, before anything in creation was created. This is a massive love. How massive and perfect and joyful must be the love that the Father feels for the Son, that the Father has for the Son. And Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So the same supernatural, awesome, beautiful love that the Father pours onto Jesus, Jesus pours onto us. That's what he's saying. And just as the Father loved the Son before the foundation of the world, we read in Ephesians 1 that the Father loved us in Jesus before the foundation of the world, before any of us existed. Only God could do that. And so the love that Jesus is describing here in verse 9 is not... Here, his love for all people, Jesus is talking about his love for those who belong to him, for those who have put their faith in him, okay? Yes, obviously Jesus loves all people, but he loves his followers. He loves his church with a special love, with an enormous love that is similar to the Father's love for him. And Jesus tells us at the, verse, at the end of verse 9 to abide in his love. This amazing love is what Jesus wants us to live in every day. He wants us to know every day that he loves us. This is the realm in which we live, the Father's love for us in Christ. It's incredible. That is reality. We're going to come back to this phrase in a few minutes because Jesus is about to describe his love more in the following verses. So let's look at that. In verse 10, Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So there's a connection here by, between keeping his commandments and abiding. Okay, they go together. We've talked about that in the past few weeks. Uh, he says, if you keep my commands, ma commandments, you will abide in my love. Notice this, because we've got to hear this correctly. He doesn't say, if you keep my commandments, you will earn my love. It's not what he says. 
Nobody can earn God's love. Nobody uh, can do that. God loves because that is who God is. God is love. And he gives his love away because he's abounding in grace. God's love can't be earned. It can only be received as a gift of grace. Grace. Let's camp out there for a minute. Many of us have a hard time, a very hard time, as Christians and in this culture, as non-Christians too, we have a hard time accepting love and grace from other people. Uh, Maybe you don't feel like you're a good enough person for other people to love you. Or maybe you feel like you need to pay people back when they do something nice for you, and so you refuse people's help because you don't want to pay them back. Because that's tiring and stressful, especially if you know a lot of nice people. Or you might refuse people's help because you think, you know, I'm a self-made man or woman. I just, I don't need anybody's help. I got this. Well, if that's your mindset, then you really don't understand grace. And I wouldn't be surprised if you're not very gracious with the people around you. It's possible that you don't understand the gospel too. How can you accept God's grace if you can't accept grace from other people? We've got to understand God's grace in order to understand his good news. Because the gospel of Jesus is the gospel of God's grace. Grace is every good thing that God gives to us, none of which we deserve. Grace is every good thing that God gives to us, even though we don't deserve it. We deserve the opposite. We don't deserve gifts. It is the message of salvation here of what Jesus has done to rescue us from sin, and we add nothing to the rescue plan. You and I add nothing to the gospel. We simply do this. We, by God's grace, humble ourselves as needy and broken people, and we trust in the gospel, we believe it, and then we thank Jesus for what he's done for us. And then subsequently, we want to keep Jesus' commandments, not in an attempt to pay off our debt, but simply because now I want to worship God. He's changed my heart. That's what he does for those branches that have his life in them. And so we abide in Jesus' love. What this says is we abide in his love while we keep his commandments. Okay? We don't earn his love by keeping the commandments. We abide while we're keeping them. And so Jesus' commandments, why is that? Because Jesus' commandments are commandments of love for us. And when we obey his commandments of love, we're living in his love. You ever thought about that? Of obeying Jesus as a way to live in his love for you. It makes more sense when you understand who this God is that gives you these instructions, how much he loves you. This God who wants you to abide in his love is the same one who gives you commandments In verse 10, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So just like we abide in Jesus' love by keeping his commandments, so also during 
Jesus' earthly life, he abided in the Father's love by keeping the Father's commandments. And Jesus makes a profound statement here. I have kept my Father's commandments. That's what he says. I have kept my Father's commandments. Who else can say that? (laughs) Who else has obeyed every command of God perfectly from the Ten Commandments in Exodus to the laws that God gave to Moses to all of the commands given by Jesus and the apostles that we read in the New Testament? Jesus says, I have kept them. No one but Jesus has done this. In Romans 3.23, it says, what does it say? It says, all, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have fallen short of keeping the Father's commands. All except Jesus, who is God. And that is why Jesus is the only spotless lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Only Jesus can give to his followers his perfect obedience that he really earned. It's a real obedience that he earned because he really perfectly obeyed the Father. And this perfect obedience of Jesus is a gift to us. It's a gift of grace that we must humbly accept through faith if we want to live with God. If we want to be with God now and in eternity in his presence, we accept his grace. And then Jesus says in verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is God talking, okay? The reason Jesus tells his followers to keep his commandments is because he wants joy for us. Isn't that great? God wants us to experience his supernatural joy in our lives. And he says he wants our joy to be full. He doesn't want us to be lacking joy. He wants us to have his perfect joy, and he wants us to be full of it, overflowing with it. He doesn't say this. I've spoken these commandments to you because I want to make your life harder. Or I've spoken these things to you because, you know, I just don't want you to have any fun. That's what he says. He says, I've spoken these things to you because I want massive joy for you. So what this means is that when our friends and the world around us and our bodies promise to give us joy by doing things that God forbids in Scripture, then those things are lying, okay? Anyone or anything that tells us to disobey God so that we can be joyful is not out to give us real joy, Because temptations and lust of the flesh, they can give us momentary highs, but they cannot give us lasting, meaningful, reliable, rock-solid joy of God. It cannot. Think about some of the things Jesus commands us, Christians. Jesus commands you not to hate one another because that's not going to give you more joy. It's not going to bring glory to God either. Hating others in your heart is going to make you miserable. And it's going to harm others, potentially. Jesus commands you not to lust after the flesh. He commands you not to commit adultery. Because those things aren't going to give you more joy. 
They won't lead you down the path of joy. They'll lead you down the path of destruction. They're gonna destroy you and your family. Jesus doesn't want that for you. Jesus commands us not to covet our neighbor's family, not to covet what our neighbor has or what our neighbor has accomplished because coveting will not bring you more joy. Instead, Jesus wants you to see that he is everything you need. He's everything you need and more. He wants you to be perfectly satisfied in him. And whatever else he gives you in this life is a gift. And the purpose of that gift is now to use it to worship him with joy and to bring him glory. Jesus wants joy for you. Man, I'm thankful for that. And you will experience the fullness of his joy as you obey his life-giving commandments knowing this, knowing full well that he already obeyed perfectly in your place. It's not real joyful to, to try to follow the law, to try to get right with God. Apart from Christ, I don't know how you could have any joy. <laughs> Period. But knowing that God has fulfilled the law for us in Christ so that now we're free to obey the one who obeyed for us, that's where joy is. <laughs> Now in verse 12, Jesus restates the new commandment that he gave in chapter 13. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So, okay. Um, so I, Jesus says, I have loved you as the Father has loved me. Now I want you to love one another as I have loved you. So that's the same love. God wants us to receive and then to be overflowing with as we abide in Christ and to pour on to others in the vine, the other branches in this healthy tree. A few months ago, I preached three sermons about what Jesus means when he says love one another. So I'm not gonna re-preach those sermons here. Um, you can look at those online. But I'll remind you that Jesus is specifically talking to believers here in this context. He's commanding us in the church to love one another, and he commands us to love one another in a certain way with this love as he loves us. And then in the following verses, he's going to expand on what this love is like. He says in verses 13 to 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. So Jesus is explaining here what it means for us Christians to love one another by first showing us what true love is. He has not gone to the cross yet and died and, and risen again, but he speaks in the past tense because it's as good as done. Similar in Romans 8 where we see this chain of salvation where we are glorified in Christ. It's not fully completed because it's in the future, but because it's Christ, because he's an eternal God, because the work on the cross is finished, it's done. <laughs> and Jesus says that the greatest way to love your friends is to lay down your life for your friends and he tells the disciples that they are his friends now if they do what he commands them. So what he's saying is that the evidence that a person is Jesus' friend is that they're trying to do what he tells them to do in Scripture. He knows you're not perfect. 
But he knows this, that he's given you a new heart that now desires him and that now you are going to be trying to do what he tells you to do. That's the desire of your heart. And he says that this person is no longer, not, or not merely a disciple of Jesus, but is actually a friend of Jesus. And we know that because Jesus has revealed to his friends what he has seen the Father do and what he's heard the Father say in heaven. He's talked about this earlier in John 2, that the master doesn't tell his servant what he's doing, why he's doing it, what his plans is, what the vision is. Jesus does. He tells his friends the mission plan to save humanity for the glory of God and for our joy. And he says, uh, what we see is that, is that uh, Jesus died for his friends. He died for the church, for all who trust in him. And this is the reality. There was no greater way for God to demonstrate the magnitude of his love for us than by laying down his life for us. He says, what is the greatest way I could demonstrate my love? This is it. Richard Phillips, a commentator, says that unlike you and me, Jesus didn't have to die because he is God. God doesn't die. He is divine. He's holy. He's without sin. Jesus alone possessed a life over which death had no power. It was not necessary for Jesus to ever die. Jesus is the one with the power of death in his hands. He did not have to submit to death because he had no sin. And so this means that Jesus intentionally laid down his life to take away the sin of the world to save you and me. Phillips notes that uh, when a person gives his life to save another person, he normally doesn't know that he's going to die, and usually he hopes to escape death. But Jesus' death was especially priceless because he knew he was going to die, and he intended to die to save us from our sins. And additionally, Jesus died for us when we weren't really his friends. He was our friend. We weren't his friend. He died to save men and women who had done nothing but wrong him and, and in fact, would hate him until he saved them. That's what he said. In Romans 5.8, we see that God shows us his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. Wow. Hear this. You will never know a greater love than the love that Jesus has for you. You and I will never know a greater love than the love that Jesus has for us. There is no greater love than Jesus laying down his life for his church. And Jesus was no ordinary person. His death was no ordinary death. He was the perfect God-man, perfectly 100% God, 100% man, and he submitted to death in order to break us free from death. We were imprisoned to death. Jesus went on the cross to kill the sin in us that chained us to death. You get that? The sin is what chains us to death. So how do you break the chain? You gotta get rid of it. You gotta destroy it. 
And so on the cross, Jesus became the chain. He became the sin. And he was destroyed on the cross. And he broke the chain that chained us to death. So now we're free from death in Jesus. Is that awesome? He had to suffer God's wrath for the sin that we've done. And after fully absorbing the wrath of God on our behalf, because he loves us, he died. Wow. uh, He was the lamb of God on the cross. He bore our sin. He suffered for our sin. And eventually he died and he took our sin to death with him. He put our sin to death. He laid down his body for us. He laid down his spirit for us so that our spirits might be lifted up. And when Jesus was lifted up from the dead three days later, it was the most awesome victory the universe has ever seen. Period. Incredible. Jesus proved the truth of his promises by rising from the dead. He proved the truth of his identity. He proved the truth of everlasting life for all who believe in him because he rose from the dead. We see the love of God for humanity and specifically for his people all throughout scripture, all throughout history, all throughout even our lives, but it's most clearly seen in the gospel of Jesus. God created you to live in his love. That's why humanity was created because he's awesome and loving and gracious and created us to be objects of his love in a relationship with him. You and I will never know any greater love, and there is no other love that can satisfy your soul. That's why Jesus tells us in verse 9, I want you to live here. I want you to live in love, my love for you. I want you to abide here. This is your home. This is where you dwell now forever. He doesn't want us to just pray this prayer once when we accept Christ and, oh, cool, I accept God's love and forgiveness one time and then I'm gonna move on with my life. This is where you live now. You moved. You've crossed over from death to life. Jesus wants us to live in his love. It's our dwelling place. It's our home. Jesus, his love is where he tells us to stay. And every week in our lives, every day, there are all sorts of troubling things that happen to us and troubling words that we read that crash into us, that crash into our souls, that crash into our minds, and they try to push us out of the reality of God's love for us. But Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let the troubles in your life push out push you out of the reality that you're in my love. Don't let the troubles in your life push you out of the joy that you're living in my love. Remain every day in the reality of Jesus' love for you. This is not wishful thinking. This is the realm in which you live if you've been bought with the blood of Christ. Do you believe that Jesus is God and that he died on the cross to save you from your sin? If so, praise God. Now let me ask you something that might be harder for you to believe. Do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that God loves you? The message of the gospel is that he does. 
that message rattles me the more that I live on earth. God, why would you love me? Why would you love the people I'm around? Why would you love the world? I don't get it. Why would you even put us here? It was so peaceful before we were even here. But the message of the gospel is that we were created in God's image and that he loves us in Christ. He doesn't love you because he died for you. He died for you because he loves you. Abide in Jesus' love and stay there. If you're a young person here, maybe you've been hurt by your peers or you want so badly to be loved and accepted by other people, which is normal when you're a teenager and that doesn't go away when you get older. Jesus says, I want you to live in my love for you. Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected by his friends. He knows what it's like to be hurt. Look to Jesus and stay in his love is what he says. To the single person who would love to find a husband or wife someday, know that a husband or wife cannot give you what Jesus can. Okay? It's okay that you want that, but you don't need another human being in order to be complete. It's not like you're walking around as an incomplete person if you're in Christ. You need Jesus in order to be complete. So whether you'd like a spouse someday or whether you wouldn't, the, the instructions are the same to us. Abide in the love of Jesus because he loves us more than anybody else ever could. To the person here who's going through trials and suffering, you've got to preach to yourself the love of Christ. And sometimes you have to preach it out loud. <laughs> because sometimes our circumstances really don't line up with that truth. It doesn't look like it all fits together. We can't allow ourselves to believe that anything we feel or anything we're experiencing in our life can separate us from the love of God because God says very clearly in Romans that it can't. That's not reality. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Even when your life is a wreck, when everything's falling, around, uh, falling down around you, Jesus says, I'm with you and I want you to abide in me and abide in my love. When your whole world collapses, God is the rock that does not move. He doesn't move. His promises do not change. The reality of you living in his love and living in Jesus doesn't change at all. So pray to God. We need to pray to God. Lift up my heart, God, and make this, these, the truths of this reality sink into me and give me joy in my heart, Lord. And to the person who nearing, uh, is nearing death, rest in the love of Jesus. <laughs> when you are too ill to get up out of your bed, Rest in the love of Jesus. Don't entertain scary thoughts or regrets. Guard your heart and your mind with the love of Jesus because this is what he says. You already crossed over from death to life in me. It's not something you're waiting to happen. You've already crossed over from death to life. So death is now the doorway that you're gonna go through 
to bask in my love and my presence forever. Jesus took the stinger out of death. Because you trust Jesus, you are now a child of God. You're a friend of Jesus. So rest in Jesus, dying person, while you wait for him to bring you home. And Christians, Jesus tells us to love one another as he loved us. We're supposed to lay down our lives for one another as he has laid down his life for us. This love that we're abiding in, this is the love that we're living in, this is the love that we're extending to those around us. 1 John 3.16, the same author of John's gospel. He says this, I mean, he, in one verse he says, by this we know love, <clears throat> that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for the brothers. You are a friend of Jesus because Jesus chose you. You did not choose him. He chose you and set you apart before the foundation of the world to be the object of his self-sacrificing, death-defeating love. This is what Jesus says in verses 16 and 17 here of John 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Obviously, he's talking to the disciples in this room, but as we expand it here, there's salvific or uh, emphasis here too. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you. I set you apart that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So he says, if you're a true follower of mine, if you are a friend of mine through faith, then that's because I chose you. He chose to save you, which means that he saved you. What is it, from what we've read in this passage, well, he saved me from the fire where the dead branches are thrown, but also he saved me in that he set me apart as a branch to bear God's fruit. This means that in God's sovereign plan of salvation, Jesus not only died to rescue us from hell, but he also died to redeem our lives on earth. The life that you live now has value. Has value before you're in Christ too, but it means he redeems it in a way that you will live it out for his glory, which you weren't doing before. We are now participants in God's kingdom advancing mission on earth. Verse 16 says that Jesus chose us so that, or that, we would go, we would bear fruit, and fruit that lasts. So in this verse, uh, the fruit of God not only refers to like the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of our changed desires and internally the fruit of the Spirit, but also in the external fruit of ministry that we produce as a church, as disciples who are advancing God's kingdom in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our community and, and in the world. This sounds a lot like the Great Commission here, this verse. Soon after Jesus' death and resurrection, he would <clears throat> give the disciples the Great Commission to go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so also, Jesus tells us right here, go and bear fruit that lasts. 
Jesus gave us a mission to do, you guys. To use everything we have, to use everything he's given us to tell the good news, to show the good news that Jesus is alive and that he saves people from sin. And you're on mission with Jesus if you are a branch with the life of Jesus in you. And then Jesus says something really interesting in verse 16. He says, I chose you and set you apart to go and bear fruit that abides so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. <clears throat> Man, I was wrestling with this one because if the order seems wrong, you would think, um, I tell you to pray for whatever you want in the name of the Father and he'll give it to you so that you can then bear fruit that abides. That's not what he says. He says that prayer here is what he wants. <laughs> this is the third time in just a few chapters here that Jesus has told us really boldly to ask for great things in his name and the Father will give it to us. And in other words, and we've talked about that too. We have to be careful how we apply that. <clears throat> but Jesus is telling us to pray, pray, pray to God to save souls, to change lives, to advance his kingdom and to be glorified around the entire world. From here to Thailand. Prayer, he's saying, is one of the central means that God ordained. He gave this gift to the church so that we can love one another and so that we can advance God's on, kingdom on earth. It's prayer here. Prayer. Jesus wants us, he's, and he connects prayer to the bearing of fruit. This is all, it's, it's all interconnected. Jesus wants us to go and bear fruit so that we can thank him and pray more and watch him work more so that we can thank him and pray more and watch him work more so that we can thank him and pray more and watch him work more. This is how Jesus set it up. God grows his kingdom we abide in his love and we pray for his glory. And then Jesus repeats himself again in verse 17. He says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. <clears throat> said this so many times, church. My prayer for us as a church is that we would, as Christians, love one another, act toward one another in a way that resembles Jesus and is distinctly different than the way we treated people before Christ saved us. <clears throat> Jesus wants us in his church to know that if we truly want to love God with all that we are, then that is directly connected to how we treat other people. And we don't like hearing that. <laughs> My first year of youth ministry, I preached that and I had a kid leave the youth group. Because I said, I don't, I don't want to believe that. Because they had a hard time forgiving somebody. They, don't wanna, they want God. They want to receive the love. But it's just for me. It's just for me and God. And it's just, man, he's just going to save me. And it's all about me. And it's all, no. You're nothing. This thing's not about you. This, this whole world, this whole life, your life is about God. You're a recipient of his love. And he's put you as a branch on a tree connected to other branches 
so that you would abide in his love together. In love, God chose us before the foundation of the world. In love, God came to earth for us. He lived a perfect life. He bore our sins on the cross. He suffered on the cross. He rose again. He ascended back to the Father in love. In love, Jesus commands us to believe in him because he wants joy for us. He commands us to follow him because he wants joy for us. In love, God works in us to love one another because we need help to do that. That's not in my flesh. I need God's help to do that. In love, God bears his fruit in our lives for his glory. We glorify God now through, through our lives. And Jesus tells us to remember every day how much he loves us. Live in my love. Live in the reality of that. That's home base for you. And he tells us to rest in this knowledge of his love for us as we know this and to rejoice in the reality of this. To rejoice. Nothing's taken you out of the realm of God's love. That's your home. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you um, for your love. We thank you for pulling us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, your light. We thank you for <clears throat> doing what we could never do for ourselves. God, we cannot claim any of this. This is the good news. This is the gospel, the finished news of what you've done for us by breaking sin, by breaking uh, the chain of sin that's connected us to death, by uniting us with yourself so that we can now abide in you. We can live in you. We can bask in your presence and talk to you and pray to you. And even when we don't feel like you're always listening to us or that we're getting the answers that we are hoping for, it doesn't change reality. You're there and we are in you. Please fill us with your love. Please make our church abounding in love. I could care less how many people are here. <laughs> what I want is, I want to be part of a church that loves you and loves one another. Just do your will in our lives, God. Give us supernatural love. We can't do this in our flesh. And hopefully, God, as, as you help us to set our minds on the reality of your love for us, that will permeate into the way that we love others. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.